From the campus of Stanford University and on location, this is the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast, featuring in-depth, one-on-one interviews with purpose-driven entrepreneurs and high-performance people, committed to ideas, positive outcomes, and a better world. Our radio show and podcast illuminates the struggle, breakthroughs, and exceptional outcomes these game changers bring to industries, organizations, and lives. Hosted by Tom Dioro, principal of Podfather Media. Our guest today is Alexandra Cano, CEO and co-founder of Pluma. Prior to starting Pluma, Alexandra held corporate roles across several industries, including technology, biotech, and investment management in New York and London. During her role as chief of staff of, at biotech company Solozyme, Alexandra found inspiration for what would ultimately become Pluma. For more information, feel free to visit pluma.co. Again, that's P-L-U-M-A dot C-O. Alexandra, welcome to the show and thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. I'm really excited about uh, talking with you. Now, what was... uh, I like to start with things, go back as far as you can, Alexandra. When, if you can... uh, well, obviously, you know where you are now. If you can look back as far as you can to where you can recall, what or were there galvanizing moments or a moment where you can see, you know, I really wanted to be a, a, an entrepreneur at some level, even though if you may not have had the uh, an understanding of the word or, or knew what it was, or maybe you did. Mm. Yeah, it's a good question. I think I can say... Um that I can go back to when I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. (laughs) Um, So I can go back even further. Um, When I was in business school uh, about 10 years ago, I was pretty adamant with myself that I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. Um, My uh, stepfather um, has a family uh, run business. So it's been in our family since 1876. And so much of my life was consumed with uh, the realities of entrepreneurship and uh, business ownership, you know, the history of my family very much in that having that ingrained and um, the stresses of that, you know, my, my stepfather's uh, day to day and the hours he kept and sort of the burden of that and that legacy. Um, made me pretty keen on not uh, doing entrepreneurship, uh, which I think is a little bit atypical, especially for, you know, an MBA program. A lot of people have a lot of dreams of glory around that. And I was um, not even entertaining the idea, to be completely honest. I was very focused on investment management and, and the like and uh, and sort of, you know, in retrospect, I wish that I had taken courses and focused on entrepreneurship and business ownership because yeah. those are kind of gaps that I had to fill in on my own later on since I hadn't thought that that would be in my purview at the time. Um, but for me, the desire to start you know, my own thing, to pursue entrepreneurship, it was really sort of like a, an iterative process and a realization. I think it wasn't so much, you know, from day one, I was destined, you know, the age of 21, I knew I should run my own company. Um, It was very much uh, pursuing different careers, working in all sorts of industries, working for all sorts of people and coming to the realization that the kind of impact that I wanted to have, the kind of expression of my own, Uh, strategies and visions and opinions, it was really only going to happen 
if I started something myself. I couldn't expect mm. to be um, given that opportunity. Some people are very lucky and they are, you know, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, for the majority of people, if they want to sort of, f- I'll say, fully businessly actualize, mm-hmm. <laughs> they need to build it themselves. Um, and, and that was sort of my, my realization along the journey of, of sort of embracing entrepreneurship. Very good. Very interesting as well. How about the values and culture? When I mean values and culture, is it were they intrinsic within your you know within you that you go, I want to, I want this these values and this type of culture in 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 in, in my startup or my company that you're just not able to do just uh, in any space. Mm. Yeah, I think that. Um it was very, the values um, that I personally have that my co-founder Samuel Cabral has are very closely aligned. And I wouldn't necessarily say that I didn't, I didn't have previous roles, you know, prior to starting Pluma where I felt at, at odds with my values, but maybe they just weren't, you know, like, exactly primed towards those particular things and also your priorities. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what I found through entrepreneurship is that you can be very directed in your, in your values and the things you find most important. And so for me and for my business partner, those have always been authenticity, you know, like genuineness, um, not making claims that we can't back up um, really focusing on sort of true impact and, and, um, veracity in what we do, mm-hmm. um, not overemphasizing the, the marketing piece, but really, you know, um, the belief that if you deliver value and you're a good partner, that's what wins in the end. Um, integrity, I think, ties in really closely with that. And then uh, a sense of hustle, um, mm. you know, doing a lot uh, with as little as possible. I think it's an important value um, generator for businesses. I think people uh, like to get away from that. It's really attractive to raise VC money. It's great for your ego. It's great for your, you know, Mm -hmm. um, office uh, decoration, but it can distract you from how are we going to parse through to truly what's most, the most important and focus our team on those, right? You don't have to make hard decisions if you can throw something at everything, but you can get lost pretty quickly. Um, and then the last piece was really building a team where we could hire and promote people and give them opportunities based on what they demonstrate of themselves versus pedigree or um, certain check boxes and things like that. And that, that was really important to both of us too, because um, I have not found a huge correlation between um, what, how someone can perform and necessarily like specific, you know, preconceived notions around background and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's a, there's a lot of bias wrapped up in that. That's excellent. How did you come up with your company name? Yeah. So Pluma, um, for those who are uh, Spanish speakers out there, it means feather, um, but it's also slang for pen along the lines of English, like a plume, like the old school feather pen, oh, yeah. but more common in Spanish. Like we don't, you probably don't see yourself talking about plumes very often, <laughs> um, but it, it's like more slangy in Spanish. Um, and so my co-founder uh, grew up in Ecuador and I had studied Spanish um, for a while and, and spent some time in, in Latin America. 
And so it was a topic that we connected on and um, we wanted to hearken back to days of really of solid, valuable communication of like connecting with someone and um, making it thoughtful and um, uh, um, uh, a good use of time, you know, like the way that you really connect and, and are vulnerable with someone and, are, and gain and learn and change from that. So we kind of thought, oh, like the old days where you would write a letter um, and send it by ship, you know, you had to oh, really yes. come across, like you had to put a lot of effort into that oh, letter. Yeah. That's not like the text or I'm like, LOL, <laughs> you know, misspelling chicken, you know, so um, I think that uh, that's what we were getting at. And then, of course, you always have these kind of is the domain available? Is it easy to spell? Is it easy to pronounce? You know, is it kind of neutral uh, in terms of emotion or, or those kind of things? So it ticked all of those boxes as well. Very well. You're listening to the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and podcast on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Alexandra Connell, CEO and co-founder of Pluma. For more information, feel free to visit pluma.co again that's p-l-u-m-a dot c-o alexandra if we go back to the uh the pen where you said how when you write a letter you had to really put some thought effort and really quite personalize i noticed in in, in uh, my discovery of you and, and your company there is quite a high level of personalization if I'm if I'm reaching, tell me I'm not, I am. But I just that's the vibe I get that there's a as much as it's uh, digital online and uh, uh, looking for obviously helping people. There's a high level of personalization from my, my uh, observation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, you know, at a very high level, what we do is scalable executive quality coaching, focusing on. Uh, emerging leaders, which is this big uh, group of uh, employees within organizations, anywhere from a first-time manager or a high-potential individual contributor, all the way up to pretty senior-level uh, people within an organization, but the vast majority of whom would not have had access to traditional executive coaching. And one of the things that was crucial and is crucial in our business model uh, has been this idea of not sacrificing on the quality of coaching in order to scale. So where we draw our scaling from is the fact that so many executive coaches are sole proprietors doing their own business mm -hmm. development and marketing and charging rates uh, for their own practice that will make up for the underutilization of their time, right? So as a sole proprietor, it's very hard for me to sell to enterprises. So I'm not going to be fully booked um, in the way that I'd most like to be because I don't necessarily have that, you know, marketing leverage. So we're able to get all of those extremely high quality executive coaches do that marketing and business development and all of that on their behalf and make sure that they're using their time for those really uh, high quality coaching experiences and make that obviously through that, making it much more cost effective for the organizations. So when, when we're doing that, we also realized exactly like you said, if it's going to be a high quality executive coaching experience, um, even if we're going to do it at scale, it needs to feel the same way that it would feel if it weren't done at scale. And a key piece of that is making sure that the coaching experience aligns with the culture of your organization. 
So if you just got a performance review and then you're working with a coach and it has nothing to do with anything that was in your performance review, it's not going to add a lot of value, right? As mm -hmm. you think about your career development and trajectory. So it's really important that it all ties together for that end user. It's also important to the organization because they need at scale, you know, if I've got thousands of people doing this, I need to be able to take a big picture step back and say, this has really impacted these specific metrics. It's driven these specific values of our organization. It's working for our bottom line, whatever it might be that's your key metric. But it's, it's got to be specific to your organization because um, if you pull it back too far and you, you make it too generic or too cookie cutter, individual participants can feel that. And that's not a coaching experience. That's more like a guided curriculum, which isn't very inspiring. It's not going to drive the kind of change people expect from coaching. And then obviously organizations as well will be, you know, disinclined to make that kind of investment. Excellent. Can you tell us what you may tell uh, uh, clients or prospective clients uh, along the lines of, yeah, this sounds kind of harsh, but like, tell me what I don't want to know. And are, are you able to kind of do that either directly or kind of smooth it over when, when you know, hey, this is what you're going to need to get where you want to go and we can help you, but we're going to have to be on mm -hmm. the level with you. Does that happen often or, or, or occasionally? It's a, it's an interesting question. Um, I think where it comes up the most for us is that, you know, what we're doing is fairly new, right? We're not coming in to a learning and development or talent team at an organization and saying, replace your current executive coaching with our product, right? Because that's just okay. a small group of people and, you know, a small program. What we're saying is replace much of your L&D programmatic effort with our product. That means in-person workshops or seminars, online content or guided curriculums, sort of piecemeal things that you've got every quarter, whatever that might be. Um, we're basically saying for the same cost or less, we can deliver something that's exponentially more impactful. We can show you those metrics and we can make it really easy to administer. And your engagement is going to be 100%, which is unheard of in mm -hmm. the L&D field, right? A lot of HR teams are spending a lot of time trying to convince people to engage, right? And that's not the experience people have with our platform. So I think the conversations where it's like this, this might not be what our client wants to hear, they're really around rethinking some of the programs or programmatic efforts that they have and sort of drawing out what is essential, what really moves the needle for people, what do people like to participate in, and not just continuing certain things because that's what's always been done. Um, while still making sure that that's not that that's not personalized or taken as a critique, right? Okay. But more as you know that worked before, and and in a way, I mean, I think everything that's happening right now with the COVID nineteen stuff is a is a door opening for that because you can really say you know those really aren't an option anymore. It's not an option to meet in person, so it, it's a little easier to distance the the conversation from you know oh, this shouldn't have been how it should have been done to, well, now you need to find alternative solutions and here's a great one. Yeah. How are you adjusting, if you're at liberty to share with us, the uh, you know, our post-pandemic uh, <laughs> relationships with, with people in the business arena? 
Yeah. So we have a very broad swath of clients. One of the things I've been most uh, struck by is that there is no industry that is particularly prone, you know, to coaching. It's really, we've seen relevancy across every single industry from, um, you know, retail, uh, Gap Inc. and Sephora, all the way to, you know, uh, financial services, uh, S&P Global, that type of thing, all the way to healthcare, pharma, Biomarin, Gilead Sciences, and then to technology with clients like Adobe and Dropbox. So all over the world, um, we're on six continents and all across industries. Um, and so our client base is having different reactions uh, to the changes that are happening. Some of them, very easy, you know, switching to remote work, so not, it's natural. They're mostly engineers, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and so it's more about making sure that people have the support and the resources they need to work effectively remotely, but their actual tasks aren't necessarily day-to-day inhibited by working remotely. So we had recently had an article come out in Fortune with our partner at Adobe, and that was really about Adobe's transition to um, remote learning and development and using Pluma coaching as like a key piece of that. Um, On the other end of the spectrum, I mentioned Sephora as a client. We also recently had a release about that. They're giving coaching to the majority of their um, regional uh, leaders, store leaders in the United States. Obviously, those people's day-to-day has been extraordinarily impacted by um, COVID because of the closings of of the actual physical stores, which is where they do their work, you know, moving from store to store and organizing those efforts. So during the closures, it's been, you know, how do we reprioritize, keep up morale, get ready for reopenings. And now certain regions are reopening. So Um, dealing with a lot of the messaging around that. So it's been a great way for Sephora to uh, support those employees at this time. So we kind of have a good story to tell on on either side um, and have been able to to balance that out as all sorts of organizations are adapting. How about you personally, especially when the, um, when it was, I don't know if there was an official day that the pandemic was declared, (laughs) but, but like personally, like for yourself, because you're thinking of obviously not just the people you work with, but the, the the clients you have. How about how did it affect you personally? Did you uh, you know kind of go into yourself a little bit? And if you don't want to share, that's fine too. But I'm just curious how how you had to internalize it because I think we all have. And then how do you bring it out? I mean. Mm-hmm. To, to, to go, how am I going to adjust to this? Because I don't know anyone yet who said, oh, I was ready for this. Like, well, <laughs> <laughs> it was like, this is great. <laughs> yeah, I knew this was coming. Nobody that I know knows that. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll go into station break real quick here. And, and, and if you can answer that again, that'd be great. This is the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Alexandra Connell, the CEO and co-founder of Pluma. For more information, you can visit pluma.co. Again, that's P-L-U-M-A, pluma.co. Again, back to the question is, how did you share or mm-hmm. how did you feel about it that you knew how you, you're going to have to come back with your company um, and adjust? Yeah. So um, my first reaction was to say something quickly Um, to our key stakeholders to make sure that they knew that we were, you know, there for them, that we had the resources we needed, um, that we were well prepared. 
So it was, you know, releasing, you know, key, thorough, detailed communications to all of our coaches, to all of our HR partners, to all of our uh, coaching, you know, users, as well as to all of our employees and, you know, making different communications for each of those groups um, that really gave them the information that they needed, the con- address the concerns that they might have, you know, for end users, really encouraging them to continue their coaching. Obviously, if they needed to pause, we were giving everyone kind of like a free pause um, to make sure they had a couple of weeks to adjust, but then saying, hey, this is actually a great opportunity to talk to a coach. Like, this is a great time mm-hmm. to have that resource, you know. Um, for our coaches, making sure they knew that, you know, we were going to continue providing them with work, that, you know, our business is continuing, that we're thriving, you know, settling some of their concerns um, just in terms of their own business and income, right? Mm-hmm. And then for our HR partners, you know, giving them the confidence, everything's still up and running, you'll have what you need. If you need to launch quickly, we can do that. We we uh, launched a program for 24-hour launches. So basically, you can launch at the enterprise level within 24 hours with Pluma. And that was something we wanted to make really clear, uh, you know, was available and and ready if they needed it. Um, And then obviously, for our own team members, um, that was video conversations, phone conversations, um, obviously letting everyone work remotely. We're a distributed team. We have office in the Bay Area, office in Arizona. And so, it's interesting when you're leading a company in two states with different policies. Um, my tendency has been to go with the more conservative policies. So right now, Arizona is opening up, but I've kind of, um, you know, I've left it to my employees to decide. But with the with the caveat of, you know, my my preference is probably that we follow the California strategy that's a bit more conservative. But if you have a really good reason that you need to go into the office, let's discuss it. You know, it hasn't come up yet, but that's the, that's the approach. Um, and then on a, a personal, personal level, um, my husband is a pediatric oncologist at UCSF. And so when all of the COVID stuff was starting, I kind of had a inside perspective on the preparations they were making at the hospital, how they were shutting down certain units to prepare, um, the rates that they've seen. It's been pretty incredible. UCSF Pediatrics hasn't had a single COVID positive uh, patient come in, wow. which is phenomenal um, and a testament to the, to the impact of shelter in place. Um, so I also had that lens of kind of a probably probably overly informed yeah. uh, member yeah. of the populace in terms of That's like sure. without any virology or epidemiology yeah. knowledge. I was sort yeah. of hearing a lot of things in the background, <laughs> which I um, have also passed along to my team. I've uh, basically, and, and a few of them have, have been able to take advantage of this, but I sort of named my husband our chief medical officer and gave out his phone number and i was like it's private between you and him because he's a doctor but if you have any questions or you're concerned or you know because a lot of people weren't being able to access um doctors you know what i mean especially at the beginning like if you had symptoms the hospitals were full Uh um so that was important to kind of make sure that the team had access confidentially to to that resource if they needed it so that's that's outstanding really is alexandra what uh, would you you know i was going to ask you what would you recommend for aspiring entrepreneurs or innovators today but i think this question might tie into it as well what have we not discussed 
in uh, uh, in your show that you'd like to share with your audience? Um, that's a, such a broad question. Yeah, it is. And, and um, if you think it's lazy, it kind of is. But I think I like where you went with your husband uh, helping your that. That's just like totally above and beyond. And so I thought, you know what? You can be, I'm sure you're above and beyond in a lot of things. <laughs> so, so I'm going to. Well, I would hand say it it's, it's also above and beyond of him. You know, he's, yeah. though he's very, I think when you're in the, um, his medical world and the research world, which is what he's in, you don't get to dabble in the business world a lot. So he's, he's sort of enjoying like the flaunting the title of chief medical <laughs> officer. Um, but, um, uh, so I, I think in, in terms of entrepreneurship, when people ask about that um, and uh, uh, how to get started and things like that, I would say that the approach that myself and my co-founder Sam have ta- has taken have taken is is a little bit atypical in that we focus on um, you know being entirely we haven't raised any institutional capital. We focus on. Uh, growth that's sustainable, profitability. Um, you know, we're growing extremely quickly, but not at the sacrifice of overall strategy or vision. Um, and being based in Silicon Valley, you can get, it certainly has been something I've had a lot of feedback on that like was told it wouldn't work. You know what I mean? I couldn't mm-hmm. do it that way. Um, but it was important mm-hmm. to me at least thus far, because it allowed for us to have all those values that I mentioned of kind of you know, full stakeholder perspective and um, authenticity and the kind of growth or strategic decisions that we knew were the best uh, for all all involved, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say I think a lot of entrepreneurs, especially in Silicon Valley, their immediate focus is um, how to fundraise, you know. So it's like make a presentation, make a PowerPoint and start fundraising. Mm-hmm. And I would really say, whether, you know, it can be fantastic to fundraise. I would never tell someone like do or don't. It's really product and strategy specific. But I would encourage people to not think of that as their first goal. You know, in terms of your first goal, get something out there, no matter how kind of pieced together it is. You know, people told me you can't, you simply can't do that with an enterprise product like yours. You have to, you know, fundraise and to build it, right? You can't just cobble something together and get going but we did you know yeah. you, ju- you just do like it's like okay well I'll just do it um, and I would encourage people to be a little bit more like uh, oriented around getting something out there and getting people reacting to it as their their primary focus when they're thinking about getting something done and then if you want investors if it's working it'll draw investors you know what I mean even if it's just working a little bit so um, plus you have the benefit of, hey, you're getting revenue yeah. too, so you can use that to grow. Um, that would be something I'd, I'd encourage people to, to prioritize. That's outstanding. I love it. Thank you very much. That's like blew away whatever answer I even thought you might say. Thank you. Um, Alexandra, it's been a real honor and pleasure having you on our show. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Tom. I appreciate you having me. Oh, I hope you consider coming back again soon because um, I'm sure you guys keep you're going to keep growing and growing. And um, I, I love what you're doing. You've been listening to the Entrepreneurs Radio Show and Podcast. Our guest today has been Alexandra Connell, CEO and co-founder of Pluma. Prior to starting Pluma, Alexandra held corporate roles across several industries, including technology, biotech, and investment management in New York and London. For more information, feel free to visit 
pluma.co. That is pluma, P-L-U-M-A dot C-O. Join us again next time when we welcome another purpose-driven entrepreneur or high-performing game changer committed to ideas, positive outcomes, and a better world. I'm Tom Dioro. The Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and on location. The Chief Recording Engineer is Iris Chikopoulos, Chief Engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Peter Caroline and Omar L. Sabrao. And the Executive Producer and Host of The Entrepreneur Show is Tom Dior. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Thank you.